This past week, my wife was driving one of our children somewhere, and out of the blue, my son asked an interesting question, as they tend to do at that age. He said, Mama, what superpower would you want to have? My wife explained that she would like to see everyone saved and then continued to explain that wouldn't be God's will, and so I would want to be able to fly. And she said, what's your superpower? What superpower would you want to have? And he said, I'd want to be like a little Jesus. I'd want to heal people. Not like a full Jesus, like God, but just a little Jesus. Heal people so they don't hurt anymore. You're smiling. You think that's cute. You think that's precious. And it is. But why? Why do you think that way? And for those of you who have been around, it may make you feel even more to know that that particular son who said that was the one with a lot of health issues. If we weren't in a church setting, you'd probably awe out loud. It's because you are moved by his compassion, his desire to help other people, his recognition of God's power, perhaps all of the above. Well, all of those is what we get to have when we use our spiritual gifts. They may not be comic book superpowers per se, and as we saw last week, The spiritual gifts such as healing and miracles no longer exist today. They have been done away with. But we still serve. We still can use our spiritual gifts for compassion. They fulfill a desire to help other people. They recognize and utilize God's power. We are not like Jesus, a full God, but a little Jesus. Isn't that just another word for Christian? Another way of saying being Christ-like? To be like Christ. To help people with our spiritual gifts. And you could argue that because, as we have seen in our study of spiritual gifts, that they are empowered by God, they are not something that is humanly possible on our own. They go beyond just talent or what we call natural giftedness. They are given by God. They are empowered by God. They do things that we could otherwise not do. So you could argue they are indeed a sort of superpower. That's what we've been talking about for the past few weeks. Spiritual gifts. Every Christian has one. We're all commanded to use it. They vary from person to person. And this week, as we continue looking at spiritual gifts we see Paul continue his discussion on the variety, the diversity of spiritual gifts. But he hones in and explains to us why that diversity is necessary for the body to function in unity. Diversity is necessary for unity within the church. Turn with me, if you will, to 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verses 12 through 14. If you're new with us or joining us for the first time this morning, we are studying through the book of 1 Corinthians verse by verse. 
We find ourselves in a new study on spiritual gifts in chapters 12 through 14. This morning we are in verse 12. We start in verse 12 of 1 Corinthians chapter 12. Let me read that for you. Paul writes, For even as the body is one and yet has many members, and all the members of the body, though they are many, are one body, so also is Christ. For by one Spirit we were all baptized into one body, whether Jews or Greeks, whether slaves or free, and we were all made to drink of one Spirit. For the body is not one member, but many. This morning I'd like to offer you four descriptions of unity through diversity. Four descriptions of unity through diversity with the understanding that we're in the context of spiritual gifts. And we will see very clearly that the the diversity he talks about is exactly that, the spiritual gifts. So let me jump right in and give you the first description of unity through diversity, the body illustration. The body illustration. In verse 12, he uses the illustration of the human body, which he will go into with much more analogy and description next week in our passage next week and continue on uh, in various parts throughout this series. But he begins in verse 12. I'll read it for you again. He says, For even as the body, speaking of the physical human body, is one and yet has many members, and all the members of the body, though they are many, are one body. So also is Christ. It's a bit of a mouthful, but you get the point. It's very clear. You see, Paul begins by speaking of the human body and relates it to the church, the body of Christ. Paul's original audience, the ancient Corinthian church, would have understood this concept of the human body being made up of many members. It was something that they used often, even in political rhetoric. But today, with our modern scientific understanding and dissection to the molecular level of the human body, we understand this even better. From the body's major systems and vital organs to the 100 trillion cells that is contained in each of us, we see how the intricate and interdependence of all the parts work together to form a whole. When speaking of an individual, when pointing out someone, you don't say, oh, the two hands, the two feet, the legs. You say, that's Bob. That's Fred. So it is with the body of Christ, which is referred to here as simply Christ. So when he says Christ at the end of the verse, he's talking about the body of Christ. What Paul is doing, as indicated by the word for in the beginning of this section, is further explaining what he has already stated in verses 4 through 11 regarding the variety, again, the diversity of spiritual gifts that God has given each and every member of the church. That is, each and every Christian. Not an official right hand of fellowship member of this church, but the capital C church. All believers, every Christian has a spiritual gift And it may be very unlike anyone else, any other Christian around you. So this analogy is very simple. The human body is made up of many different parts or members, as he says here in the NAS. And each part is different. Even if you were to line up my two hands next to one another, upon detailed observation, you will see that they are quite different from one another. No doctor is going to say, well, you're having a problem with your left hand. 
I know you can't lift it. Let me just look at your right hand and I'll be able to fix your left. No, it's different. Even the fingerprints are different. The creases are different. The size is different. They're all distinct. Each part is different. The same when looking at both of a man's eyes or both of a woman's ears. They are not exactly the same. The pupils are different sizes. They're different colors. The veins are different when their eyes are bloodshot from lack of sleep. They are not mirror images. And yet despite these differences, even in the body parts which we have two of, they all make up one body, though they are many distinct parts. It is in fact the differences of each part of your body that makes your body complete. Unity through diversity. And so it is with the body of Christ. So let me summarize this concept. The differences in the individual, individuals rather, and their unique giftedness in the church do not make them all separate from one another. Rather, it is that plethora, that uniqueness, that combine to make a single unit known as the universal church. And it also plays down in local bodies known as the local church. God is sovereign. He knows what he is doing. He has placed us all here for a reason. So to put it another way, opposite or negatively from what I have been saying, there is no unity without diversity. There is no unity without diversity. To fully understand Paul's point, we must remember that he is teaching about, of course, spiritual gifts. As wonderful and as thankful as I am that we have an ethnically diverse church, which is something we prayed for fervently in the early years of our church, as I'll probably explain in a couple weeks at our 10-year anniversary. This is not what he's talking about. He's not talking about racial diversity. He is not even talking about social diversity, as wonderful as that is as well. There are upper class, there are middle class, there are lower class, there are poor, there are rich, there are homeless, there are wealthy, there are CEOs, there are janitors. That makes up the church. It is wonderful. That's not what he's talking about in this context because that is not enough. It's talking about the diversity of spiritual gifts that are to be used for the good of the whole. And as we'll see in a moment, it really doesn't matter what race you are when it comes to service. It doesn't matter how old you are, how wealthy you are, how poor you are, how able-bodied you are. Just like it's not enough to know that each member of your physical body is different if they don't actually perform their functions. It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter if they don't work. We have diversity. We must use it for God's glory. And so when we're talking about different people having different spiritual gifts, different abilities, different places to serve, different opportunities to serve, well, it doesn't really matter if the body part isn't doing its part. We just finished the Olympics. You wouldn't praise the speed of an Allison Felix, for example, if she said, I'm trying something new. 
something different. I'm going to see if I can win this race. It's, it's fine. It's working. But I'm going to try hopping on one foot. I'm not going to use my left leg. She wouldn't be one of the most decorated Olympians, solid Christian, by the way. Father was a professor at the Master Seminary. She wouldn't win the golds. She wouldn't be the darling of the United States when it comes to the Olympics. In fact, she would be criticized. You say, what in the world are you doing? This isn't a mental health issue. This isn't a choosing because whatever. This is you chose not to do this. And you would say you handicapped yourself. Why would you do that? It's the same thing in the body of Christ. We're all different, but we need to be used in our differences for the unity and the thriving of our church. It is, in fact, that the concepts of diversity and unity taken individually seem to contradict one another, that we see the wisdom and beauty of this body illustration in God's perfect plan. Those two terms seem to contradict each other. More during certain political movements, less when those die down. But they're contradictory issues in many situations. But it is in that that the beauty of the human body and the church is found. And so we can understand that the the diversity is not like the Corinthians were doing to be a source of pride, a source of belittling others, a, a source of thinking that you are less than someone else in the church. You play a part. And so whenever you are in doubt of the importance of your role in our church, focus on each part of your bodies as you sit there this morning. To think about your lungs that are keeping you alive, your heart, the blood cells that are moving, your eyes that are looking at me, looking at your Bibles, your fingers that are flipping pages or clicking to the right passage. The little extra flab we have that is making sure that you are not in pain as you sit on your rear end right now. Every part plays a function And though you're just sitting there, the reality is your whole body is working together. Whenever you question the significance of diversity in the church, look in the mirror and take time to appreciate every body part that God ingeniously created and understand he did that for the church as well. Then look to the church. Look at the ramifications of the greater mission of the body of Christ that far outweighs anything you can pursue on your own without the rest of us and without doing it for the rest of us. This wonderful mission of being salt and light, of glorifying God on this earth that you get to be a part of. And if you question the significance of your participation or doubt that God has given you a role to play, let's take it back to the very fundamentals of who you are as a Christian, the very basics of Christianity and salvation, which brings us to our second description of unity through diversity, the body incorporation. The body incorporation. See, Paul doesn't just leave it at the place of post-salvation. This is where you are. This is your physical situation. This is your social situation. You happen to be at this church because you looked for it or it's just the closest church and you could walk to it or whatever it is. It's not just the practical reality of how to live 
in terms of service, it goes all the way back to your salvation, the body incorporation. Look at the beginning of verse 13. For by one spirit, we were all baptized into one body. Why diversity through unity? Because ultimately, we were all baptized by the Spirit into one body. This is not speaking of post-conversion event of water baptism, as important and necessary as that is, important and necessary due to its command and its implications. No, this is talking about the spiritual baptism, which we reserve at the moment of salvation. When you are saved, you are baptized by the Spirit. This doesn't come later, evidenced by the speaking of tongues or something like that. That's not in the Scriptures. This is talking about justification by faith. It is invisible. It is performed by God and not by a human minister. There's no water involved. This is simply and powerfully the moment of conversion when we receive the Holy Spirit. He doesn't come later. He comes immediately. And this helps us explain why the body is one. Ultimately, it's not that we attend the same church or even that we all serve together. It's that we all have the Holy Spirit and we're brought into a single unified body by Him. It is the truest sense of the word fellowship. We have that commonality of Jesus Christ. The scriptures are clear on what distinguishes a believer from an unbeliever. You know this. And one of those points of clarity is the baptism or reception of the very one who has given us our spiritual gifts and has manifested the great variety or diversity we have been talking about. The reception of the Holy Spirit. Turn back to chapter 2 of 1 Corinthians. We'll look at verses 10 through 12. 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verses 10 through 12. We saw this a few weeks ago. Paul says, For to us God revealed them through the Spirit, for the Spirit searches all things, even the depths of God. For who among men knows the thoughts of a man except the spirit of the man which is in him? Even so, the thoughts of God no one knows except the Spirit of God. Now we have received not the Spirit of the world, but the Spirit who is from God, that we may know the things freely given to us by God. This is common. This is all believers, and part of what we can know is not just His Word, but the intricacies of His Word, which is the promise of that spiritual gift and how to use it. If you're a quick flipper, you can turn to Galatians chapter 3 or not, just listen. Galatians chapter 3, verses 2 through 3. This is the only thing I want to find out from you. Remember, he's rebuking the Galatians. Paul says, Did you receive the Spirit by the works of the law or by hearing with faith? And what the Galatians would say, well, of course it's by faith. We know this. Then he continues in verse 3. Are you so foolish then? Having begun by the Spirit, are you now being perfected by the flesh? And so there in Galatians 3, 2 through 3, in verse 2, he, the Holy Spirit marks the beginning of the Christian life. In verse 3, he says it shows the continuing of that life, sanctification. 
you started and now you continue with the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit, the baptism of the Holy Spirit, the reception, the indwelling of the Holy Spirit, all the same thing. They are marks of all believers and why we are all the same. We are all one, one body. So that's what unifies us. Not the name of our church, not our doctrine per se, not our theology, not that we all live in the the Bay Area. It is our faith as evidenced here by the baptism of the Holy Spirit. Let me give you another one. Romans chapter 8. Romans chapter 8, verses 14 through 17. Listen carefully. It's very clear. He says, For all who are being led by the Spirit of God, these are sons of God. For you have not received the spirit of slavery leading to fear again, but you have received the spirit of adoption as sons by which we cry out, Abba, Father. Verse 16, Romans 8. The Spirit Himself testifies with our spirit that we are children of God. And if children, heirs also, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ, if indeed we suffer with Him so that we may also be glorified with Him. The Holy Spirit is printed all over the Scriptures as evidence of true salvation and a commonality that all believers have. Back in 1 Corinthians 12, The context is very clear. If that is true, we are then one unified body because of the Spirit. And from that foundation, you move on to what else the Holy Spirit has given us and called us to do. And for us today, it's using our spiritual gifts. The body of Christ has existed for a couple thousand years. And at the moment of salvation and the baptism of the Holy Spirit, you were incorporated into this 2,000-year-old body. And with that concept and understanding ingrained in our minds, we must connect it to the so what. And the so what is the reality of body life. God did not save you, give you the Holy Spirit, who gave you a spiritual gift, to be used uniquely by you according to His wise and sovereign plan, knowing your finances, knowing your physical capabilities, knowing where you live, knowing who you live with, knowing your relationships, knowing your family, knowing your background, knowing where you're going to live next year and the year after that and and the year after that until you see Him face to face. We live out that reality in body life. And that is service through the use of spiritual gifts. And that leads us to our third description of unity through diversity, the body inclusivity. The body inclusivity. The second part of verse 13 says, whether Jews or Greeks, whether slaves or free, and we were all made to drink of one spirit. You see, what God does in the body of Christ, what God does in the world in saving people, is independent of race or social status. In Paul's day, these two basic distinctions that we see in verse three, 13, rather, race and social status, were the fundamental ways that his culture were delineated by the people and by the politicians. This was common terminology back then. Not so much today. We have statistics about that. We don't talk about it because that's not PC. But that's how it was divided back then. 
He's not saying that only Jews and Greeks or only slaves and free are chosen to be part of the church. Again, he's using terminology that the Corinthians would understand. They understand these terms to include every living being. And in Christ, these racial and social distinctions are gone. To be sure, the Jew is still a Jew, and the Greek is still a Greek, and the Albanian is still an Albanian, and the African-American is still an African-American, and the Taiwanese is still Taiwanese. He knows that. But nothing about that is dependent on your salvation or vice versa. The same goes for the slave and the free. Although in that culture, that particular marker may change, of course, slave could be freed, a free man could become a slave. The point is that in Christ, those distinctions no longer have any significance. In the Holy Spirit, they, we, are all one body. Now, we live in a world in where there are realities that affect us day by day because of our ethnicity, because of our social status, I am not saying that God ignores that or doesn't use that or isn't sovereign over that. In fact, to say that God doesn't see race would be wrong. I think some people like to say that. Oh, we in the church, God doesn't see race, so we don't see race. Of course God sees race. The problem is that statement comes from a preconceived reality that some use race and social status as a source of negativity, right? I mean, even the positive things that we say in our society about race, we say to prove that we don't agree with the negative things that are assumed and said. But God definitely sees race, but in a very different way. It's all positive for Him. It's all wonderful for Him. He created the beauty and diversity of race. He created that. It's part of why we worship Him to see the wonder of his creation. But he simply doesn't see race as humans, sinful humans, see race. As a source to be prejudiced or a source to say people are different or lesser than I am or than we are. And he definitely doesn't see social status as humans see social status. Whether it's depression because of your lack of finances, or it's pride because your abundance of it, those are all sins. They're actually both the sin of pride. Well, we saw this back in 1 Corinthians 1, verses 26 through 29. For consider your calling, brethren, that there were not many wise according to the flesh, not many mighty, not many noble. But God has chosen the foolish things of the world to shame the wise, and God has chosen the weak things of the world to shame the things which are strong, and the base things of the world, and the the despised God has chosen, the things that are not, so that he may nullify the things that are, so that no man may boast before God. What is important for the Christian is that we are all saved. And you know that regardless of how well you did in school or how successful you are at your job, that's not why God chose you. He chose you before time began. I don't know how timeline works when time doesn't exist. 
but probably roughly around the same time that he chose you to be a 4.0 student and successful at your job. He gave you that. What's important for the Christian is that we all have the Holy Spirit, which is what to drink of the Spirit means, to be indwelt by Him. I'm not saying don't be thankful for your finances. I'm not saying don't pray and then work hard to lift yourself out of debt. We need to do those things. But that is not what distinguishes us in God's eyes that is not important to Him as it is important to us. You see, as a Christian, social and ethnic realities that make up who you are should take a back seat to your Christian faith, which defines who you are. At the same time, as a Christian, social and ethnic realities that make up who you are should be cherished as a means to praise God, to find contentment in how He has made you and where He has placed you, be it your physical location, your social standing, or the color of your skin. We are not to be like children who come home teased on the playground, sadly asking the question, why did God make me like this? Nor are we to be like the discontented, misguided adults in our culture who try to change what God has physically made them. No, we are to worship God for the, and here it is again, variety which flows out of His creative genius and into His created order. And even if your race happens to be the target du jour of the bigots of our society, or your social class is our government's currently neglected or even vilified group, the reality is that we know that God understood this to happen in our lifetimes while we live the life He has given us. So be content and praise Him. Because no matter what society says or does, whether they honor you or shame you, whether they honor or shame your whole people group, whether they help you, or take away from you all glory to God because none of that was on an application form that came across his desk when he was trying to decide who to choose for salvation. His choice had nothing to do with any social prejudices. His choice, frankly, had nothing to do with you at all. And that, my friends, is what we call grace. When it comes to these physical and social distinctions, we must understand that this is not the diversity or variety that we're talking about. In fact, what this verse is saying is that when it comes to those things, God has done away with any significance of them. Right? Jew or Greek, free or slave, doesn't matter is what he's saying. Doesn't matter. The only diversity that matters is the diversity that he has given us in his spiritual gifting. And that only matters because it is in that diversity that we have unity in Him. Spiritually, our unity is in Jesus Christ. Practically, ecclesiastically, ministerially, our unity is in our diversity of gifts, but only if we choose to use them. And we must use them. We need to use them. Our our unity as a cohesive body, a unit, 
for the sake of God's glory, who in his sovereign plan put us in Burlingame for 10 years and then San Mateo. He knew this. Why? Because he wants us here. He wants you here, wherever you live. But he wants you here in this church. Uh, are you trying to strong arm me to stay at this church? No, I'm saying from the point that you walked in and for the duration of the time that you stayed here, looking back, we trust God is sovereign and so he placed you here for a reason. And you may have had good reasons for coming to this church. You wanted to hear sound preaching. You wanted a smaller church that you could get to know everyone and fellowship. You wanted a church that you knew you could drive to quickly so you'd be involved in the different small groups. Good reasons. But we must understand the need, the priority, the privilege of service. Because he has put you here. Because he saw Grace Church of the Bay Area, which is unlike the human body, is constantly changing in regards to its members. And he said, that body needs a left hand. That body is missing a vital organ. That body needs a second eye. And when you look at this, and we'll look at that illustration even more next week, when you look at the reality and importance of what he's doing and illustrating this through the human body, you understand that though you may not be serving You may think in your mind you have good reason not to serve or use your spiritual gift. It may very well be the fact that you are the eye. You're the hand. And we're all handicapped. But it's not handicapped like someone who's gotten in an accident or born without a limb. Or like that illustration of Alex, Alice and Felix where one member of the body just chooses not to do what it's supposed to do. Diversity. Unity. We need them both. Well, we're looking at four explanations of unity through diversity and spiritual gifts. We've seen the body illustration, the body incorporation, the body inclusivity. Fourthly, in verse 14, the body identity. He writes, For the body is not one member, but many. A simple but poignant conclusion. He concludes our section for this morning by coming full circle to what he said at the end of verse 12, where we started. Remember, there is much disunity among the Corinthians that Paul is writing to. The great irony and tragedy is that the basis of their unity, the Holy Spirit, has become the source of their disunity and tension. To be clear, it's the presence of the Holy Spirit in all of them that evidences their salvation, which gives them a unity in essence, but that unity is not being practiced at that church, and it's not being practiced because of their envy and boasting regarding their spiritual gifts that have been individually chosen and distributed by the very same Holy Spirit. Tragic. Do you see that? The source of their unity is also what they are appealing to, who they are appealing to, as a source of their disunity. I would imagine, much like our church, though it's not as bad as their church, of course. You understand naturally if 
We're saying that unity is found in the Holy Spirit, is found in Christ in our common faith. And unity is played out in everyone serving, that when everyone is not serving, there's disunity. Now, they're much worse because they're actually putting people down. They're neglecting people. They're making people feel bad about using their spiritual gifts because it's a seemingly lesser spiritual gift. I would imagine that some of these Corinthians who are doing that, who are being envious or who are boasting, didn't really realize the reality of disunity in the church until they read this letter or this letter was read to them. And I would imagine that's the same thing with those in our church who aren't serving. They don't think that they're causing disunity. They don't think that they're causing a handicap or a problem. But the scriptures are pretty clear in what we've been looking at for several weeks now. And as we look back at everything we've learned today, we understand that unity is not the result of human devices or social classifications. They are a result of our common bond, our common life, our common faith from the Holy Spirit. And when there is disunity within the church, even when that which the Spirit gives us seems to be the source of disunity, understand clearly that disunity is never the Spirit's fault, nor is it His will. It is, in fact, sin against Him. So when Paul says in verse 14 that the body is not one member but many, he's not talking about many members doing their own thing distinct from the rest of the members. He is saying like the human body, we all do our own thing but with and for the rest of the body. We are one. It is not enough to be a part of this church because you like the teaching so that you can grow in your individual walk with God. That is vitally important, but not enough. It's not enough. It is important to be yourself and use your personalized spiritual gift. It should not be about you being disconnected from the church and doing your own thing without the good of the whole in mind. Contrary to what so many will tell you and even more believe, diversity is essential to unity. And that diversity is found in those spiritual gifts and just human worldly logic would tell you that wouldn't make sense unless that spiritual gift is used and practiced. Last night, my wife and I were praying. And then this morning as well with the setup team and staff. And I was praying that as we go through this series, that for whatever reason, if you're not serving, whatever reason that is, that that would be removed. Not, not removed in the sense that it's something outside of yourself. Removed in the sense that you would choose to serve. I'm not... Well, maybe a little bit. A little bit of a, trying to guilt trip you. But as a shepherd, as a pastor, as you, my beloved, I want you to serve so you can enjoy the blessings that the rest of us are enjoying. And then that has a synergistic effect. You know what that means? One plus one plus one equals five. 
Because when the sum of the parts work together, it has a more powerful effect than if they worked alone. Then synergistically, not only do you have great joy, great worship, more trials almost guaranteed, but even joy through those trials. Then synergistically, we as an entity, as a local church, are more powerful, have a brighter light. You get this. Whatever company that you work for or even companies you read about, when everyone is working together and doing what they were hired for, what they were trained for, either at that job or at their school or both, then the company is more successful, has a broader reach. They may still make millions and millions of dollars, but when everyone is doing their part, it can turn into billions. We're not concerned about earthly profit. We're concerned about earthly souls. We're concerned about an earthly glorification of the Creator. And so we must work together. And so what I was praying last night and this morning is I understand some selfishly choose not to serve. They want their time. They want their money. They want their distance from relationships which admittedly can be very difficult exhausting. But some are just don't know where to serve. Some are afraid to serve. You're new to the church. You're an introvert. Those things are okay. You can still serve. You can serve in a way that no one hears your voice. You don't have to be up here. As I've said before, Sunday morning services are a fraction of what we need as the body of Christ. Most of our service should happen in most of the rest of the week, which is from, mm, what, 12.30, 1 p.m. on Sunday up through 10.59 a.m. of the next Sunday. We need to serve And even if you don't know what your spiritual gift is, the best way to find it is start serving. And you will naturally be led towards what your spiritual gifting is. When I first started in a college ministry that I was a part of years ago, our particular church had uh, many campuses in the L.A. area, which they had Bible studies. And they were all ingeniously called Grace on Campus. And so we'd all have our own thing every week, and then on Sunday mornings we'd all get together in a Sunday school fellowship group. And then once a year we'd have a uh, college group-wide retreat. So every group had their own retreat, and then once a year we'd have literally 500 students all together from these nine, I think it's like 15 now, different campuses. And so people didn't like the UCLA group. I mean, they liked us, we were Christians, but we're, we're the biggest number, and so we were the loudest, and we would randomly do the eight clap, which is the UCLA sports thing they do at the games. And uh, so, you know, you could see how that would bother people. But during my day, uh, it really bothered some people but entertained them because 
the men in our group, and you understand there'd be like 80 of them at this retreat of 500 people. We used to dogpile each other. Okay, and we just usually get some guy that was new or, or one of those guys that everyone liked and had a lot of self-confidence, but, you know, so much self-confidence that he was a little obnoxious. And so, you know, we trick him during the free time and someone kneel behind him, someone push him over, and we'd all jump on top of him and just, you know, dogpile. And so just picture like 20, 30 guys. And we had some UCLA, members of the UCLA football team in our group that were jumping on this. And you've been in a dog pile. Well, I shouldn't say that. Some of you have been in a dog pile, and you know. You just jump, and you, you just kind of lay there, right? And it, it gets bigger. Um, not to brag, but maybe I'm bragging. My favorite move is, you know, we'd have seats, chairs like this. I'd run. I'd grab a chair without stopping, and I'd just throw it in front of myself, and then I'd jump on the chair and then jump on top of the pile, get as much air as possible, um, don't worry, I wasn't as big back then, so it wasn't as painful. But you understand, it's everyone jumping together, and pretty soon the lower guy doesn't even feel anything because we're all taking the brunt of it. But I still remember my first ever dog pile. I was a freshman, it was exciting. And some of the other freshmen were looking at this, and they're thinking, uh, that looks painful, right? Because if you jump on, you're going to get jumped on as well. And so two guys, including my random roommate in the dorms, decided, hey, we know how to do this. And so rather than jumping and landing so that your surface area is larger and there's less pain for everyone, they said, we'll jump, land on our butts, and then jump off. Which is why in that first dog pile, when I was on there, I heard and felt a big crunching sound. Everyone got off. And I noticed everyone was staring at me because I looked dazed and then blood just started pouring out of my face. Here's my point in this silly illustration. Had they just done what everyone was supposed to do, they wouldn't have broken my nose. It was because my roommate had landed with his hard tailbone on the back of my head, smashing me into the back of someone else but if he had just done what everyone else was enjoying and was supposed to do and not say I'm going to do my own thing so that I don't get hurt then I wouldn't have broken my nose and what I'm saying is it can get messy it can be painful physically, but more emotionally. But when we all do it together, it's a fun, wonderful thing. There's bonding, there's unity, there's service, but most of all, there is the glorification of our Lord and Savior more than we all could do individually. For even as the body is one and yet has many members, and all the members of the body, though they are many, are one body, so also is Christ. For by one Spirit we were all baptized into one body, whether Jews or Greeks, whether slaves or free, and we were all made to drink of one Spirit. For the body is not one member, but many. Let's pray.
Heavenly Father, thank you so much that salvation brings us into a right relationship with you. But there's so much more. Eternity, blessings, joy, but so much stuff that we often neglect, including our spiritual gifts and our service to one another. Father, if there's anyone here who is not serving, is ignoring their spiritual gift, whether it's for sinful, selfish reasons or even just a confusion or lack of understanding, introversion or shyness, I pray that they would serve. Not out of a begrudging feeling of they have to, not out of a desire to impress me or those around them, but so that they can be faithful to you. And for those of us who are serving but are still not sure of our spiritual gifts, may you guide us and lead us and make that clear. Help us to excel still more. Thank you for the unity that we have in the diversity, but ultimately in Christ. May we live that out in a biblical and God-honoring way. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, let's stand.